as we think about the world and all the chaos that we see in our own city, our own state, our own country, and all around the world, when we come to a moment like this in our nation where we have the profound privilege of voting, where we can remember the Constitution, where we can remember the freedoms that we have been blessed with, it's an amazing moment for us as Christians to give God praise and to exercise the right as citizens of this great, great country. One aspect, though, that's easy to miss, that's really powerful, is that when we have elections, it is a great picture of the mystery of the sovereignty of God and the, and the responsibility of man. In other words, sovereign God, the sovereignty of God means that there's nothing he can learn, ever. Think about that. There's not one thing he can learn about you or me or anyone ever. He already knows who's going to win the election on Tuesday night in every category. Yet, he, this sovereign God, ordains the means as well as the ends. And the means in our country is that we have the freedom to go and vote our convictions. So the human responsibility is evident, isn't it? Your phones are blowing up. Ads are coming at you from your iPhone. Your, or Android, whatever you use. There are signs in yards. It's at a very important time. Passionate people are pursuing their candidate for office. That's human responsibility. We have the responsibility too. But we never have to fear because we trust in a sovereign God. That isn't just an announcement. It's a great picture of the text we're about to go into. Because here we have the people of God, Israel. They have seen that their leader, Samuel, has gotten older, older that his sons are corrupt. And so they have turned their eyes away from God and began to think themselves what would be best for us. And so they went to Samuel and they said, give us a king. We want a king. And when I say that, remember, it's a little K. We want a king, like the other nations, to rule us. And that's what they got. Saul was anointed in a private anointing by Samuel. But now the sovereignty of God is revealed as he ordains the means as well as the ends. And lots will be cast as the sovereign God controls all of this, moving them forward to this new monarchy, this earthly monarchy. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. You can follow along in the bulletin, but if you want to use your own Bible or the Blue Pew Bible in front of you, it might be helpful because I'm going to add three verses to the text that's printed. That will be verses 25 through 27. If you don't have that in front of you, just listen as I read. Again, 1 Samuel 10, beginning at verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzvah, and he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Metrites was taken by Lot, 
And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his, head, from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Lord, as we come to your holy word, we are indeed desperate for your illumination. We pray that you would open our hearts. Let us see all that you would want us to see from your holy word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two aspects of this text that I want us to focus on this morning. The first is, what do we learn about God in this transition from worshiping and following the one true king, capital K, to the demand for an earthly king, small k? What do we learn about God? I want to show you two things. And then we're going to learn what is it we learn about ourselves, about man. First, let's talk about what we see about God. First, he reigns. Even though Israel has rejected him as king, God doesn't fail to reign. He simply cannot stop reigning. No matter what happens in the history of the world, no matter how dark it looks, confusing it looks, sad it looks, disappointing it looks, God never fails to reign as king. You see it in history. Look with me back at verse 18. Samuel said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. Now remember, Egypt was the mighty power. And what the Lord is showing here is his reign over that mighty power. Do you remember what God did? 10 plagues. Think about that. The God we're worshiping today is the one who sent those. The crossing of the Red Sea. The Lord did everything that was necessary as he reigned. He's sovereign governing and controlling everything that his people might be rescued. The Lord reigns when he says, I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. In other words, every kingdom that came against the kingdom of Israel, every one the Lord delivered them from. He protected them from all who were oppressing them. The Lord reigns. Even though the people have rejected him, he reigns. His character and attributes continue to be revealed. He's a deliverer. He's the leader. He is the protector against all the kingdoms. How great is the Lord's reign? How great is our God's attributes? Often we will quote something from the Heidelberg Catechism, 
question number one. I'm going to read it to you, and some of you have heard it so many times you know it by heart. For some of you today, maybe the first time you've ever heard of this, but it's speaking about the sovereignty of God, which means he is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-reigning, all-knowledgeable. Here's the question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And before we go to the answer, think about the question. It didn't say, what are some of your comforts? What's one of your comforts? The question written a long, long time ago, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And this is what they wrote, that I belong. The first thing is about a connection. That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well. So listen now to the reign of God, that he, God, protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Listen to that. Most of us today already have had hairs fall from our heads, some of you more than others. Without the will of the God we're worshiping today, that couldn't happen. Our God governs and controls all of his creatures and all of their activities. That's in our confession. That's who God is. That's who we are worshiping. Our God reigns. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present. He's transcendent, so beyond us, yet the Holy Spirit lives inside us. So even though the people have rejected this God, this God who has done only good to them and for them, he still reigns. They write on, indeed, everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What an answer to that question. What is your only comfort in life and death? The reason Israel move from worshiping God alone as king is that he was no longer their only comfort. When they saw that Samuel was getting older and his sons were evil, their eyes moved away from their true comfort, their true only comfort, and they became man-centered and other nation-centered. What did they have that's measurable? What did they have that we can see? That's what we want, and they got what they wanted. Now, that's really significant. You see, in God's sovereignty, sometimes he will give us what we want in order to show us who we need. Let me say that again. In God's sovereignty, sometimes he will give us what we want in order to show us who we need. And they got what they wanted. Samuel pleaded to the Lord, and the Lord, I'm paraphrasing, said, give them what they want. And as 
God ordained that. He never failed to reign. In fact, his reign is so specific that when the tribes in verse 20 are brought forward, we see what is unfolding. He, as Lot is cast, each tribe comes to the place where it reveals that it's to be Saul, the son of Kish. This had already been celebrated in a private anointing. But now at the public anointing, God still reigns over the lots being cast to the point that it falls upon Saul. So we learn, first, that God reigns. Secondly, we learn about God that he continues to reveal his word and his will. He continues to reveal himself. Look with me again at verse 18. Samuel is speaking, and he says to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord. So as God continues to reign, he continues to reveal himself. And the first thing in this anointing that he wants to reveal to the people of Israel is that they have rejected him. It's almost as if Samuel is making one more plea. Remember what you're doing. As we celebrate this man that God has anointed, remember what you're doing. We are here today because you have rejected God. But those weren't just Samuel's words. They were God's word. Samuel 10, 18 says so. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And then he speaks what I've already read. Along with this speaking though, generally when Saul can't be found, who is it that reveals where he is? The God who is reigning. Verse 22. So they inquired again of the Lord. Is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, not a human being, the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So God's reigning and he's revealing. He's reigning as king, all of his attributes present, and he's continuing to reveal his word. But more than just revealing his word, he is also revealing himself with a touch. Look with me at the end of the section we read, and I know it wasn't printed in the bulletin, but verse 26 says this, Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. So even though Israel has rejected the living God as king, the Lord is continuing to reveal his word, and he is continuing to touch hearts. And when a heart is touched by God, it is transformed and enabled to embrace and believe the truth. So the first thing in this text we see is they're ushering into this new monarchy, this new season, is that God reigns and that God reveals himself. Now, what do we learn about man? What do we learn about people? What do we learn about the people of Israel? What do we learn about ourselves? Well, let's just go from the top. First, as people, the nation of Israel rejected God. Scripture tells us from the beginning to the end that all mankind has rejected God. God has given us everything. And yet, time and time again, we see in Scripture, beginning with Adam and Eve, how they rejected God. Time and time again, as the Lord delivers them, they return to their own fleshly eyes and reject him again. 
It would be easy to simply think that in history, it's just these people. But the word tells us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned it his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Paul said it in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when we come to this text and we hear God say as he's revealing himself, they have rejected me as king. We know that we have too. And that's why the song Amazing Love is so great. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We rejected him. Second, you'll see that the people of Israel are really reluctant. They're reluctant to follow God. Who do you see first being reluctant? Let's talk about Saul. Verse 22 and 23, let me read them again. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. What's going on? Why would Saul, who already knows he's gonna be king, the first part of chapter 10, we're told, Samuel tells him, Samuel anoints him. You're the anointed one of Israel. You're going to be the king of Israel. And so now the lot has folded. It's come to him. He, he can't be surprised. And where is he? He's hiding. Why is he hiding? Because he's reluctant. He is reluctant to embrace the will that God has for him. He doesn't want to be seen. You know the feeling? For example, right now, if I said, I need a volunteer. Some of you would raise your hand quickly and I wouldn't call on you. Most of you though would be like, don't look at him, no eye contact, I don't want him to think he might see. You know, we don't want to necessarily be called out. Imagine a candidate winning the election Tuesday night. And when it's announced, the candidate can't be found <laughs> because he's hiding, he's scared. Maybe he's piled up all the signs that weren't put in yards and he's just under them. He's scared, <laughs> she's scared. That's what's happening here. Saul is reluctant. He has been told what God has said. He's been anointed by Samuel. And now when the word has come, the lot has fallen. It goes to the son of Kish. He's nowhere to be found. How is he found? God's voice. God says, he's over there. He's hidden among the luggage. This is really significant. Here's why. Saul had a profound problem. The problem wasn't physical. Even here it's revealed. Look at our king. He's taller than all the other men. Physically speaking, that's what we were looking for. He looks like a king. Saul's problem wasn't physical. It was visual. Saul had a problem understanding his identity and who he was. And that profound problem of identity would be his downfall. Here's how I know. Saul is hiding, not out of humility, but out of deep, deep insecurity. We see it in scripture, Moses had it. And now we see it here. And Saul is paralyzed by his 
inability to live out who he's been called to be. How do I know? Saul is going to move forward as king. And he's actually going to do some pretty amazing things. You're going to see the hand of God on him. But he's also going to do what the people of God have always done. He's going to reject God as his only comfort. And when the people that he's leading begin to cry out to him, he's going to fear them more than he fears God. And what that means is his greater comfort is people's opinion. His greater comfort is pleasing man. And in doing so, he is not going to be obedient to the Lord. And when he's not obedient to the Lord, Samuel is going to confront him. And Samuel does. In chapter 15, there's an amazing account. Samuel moves forward and says to Saul, stop. He says stop because Samuel is deceived in his own thinking. He has just built a monument to himself and now he's telling Samuel all that he has done in order to be obedient to God, but it's a lie. He's deceived. Samuel has heard enough and he says in verse 16 of chapter 15, stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul says to him, speak. It's the king, little K, talking to Samuel. Now listen to what Samuel says first. Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Though you are small in your own eyes, though you are little in your own eyes, has the Lord not anointed you king over Israel? Saul didn't see who he was in the Lord. Saul's eyes were small as he thought about what the Lord had done and what he called him to do. And out of that deep, deep insecurity, he listened louder to the people of Israel. He feared them because their praise, their acceptance was a greater comfort than the Lord. And so Samuel speaks boldly, though you are little in your own eyes. I think the identity statement here is really important for Christians. We forget that we are the apple of God's eye. We forget that we have a permanent identity, a permanent identity as the beloved sons and daughters of the living God. We forget that we have a primary identity, beloved sons and daughters of the living God. Our primary identity is not Americans. Our primary identity is not Texans. Our primary identity is not Aggies or Longhorns or Flowers or Davises or Nielsen's. Our primary identity is that we as the body of Christ are the beloved sons of the living God. We are the apple of God's eye. And when we see ourselves as little, we live with tremendous insecurity. And when we live in tremendous insecurity, we seek to find our security in insecure things. 
And then when that happens, that statement from the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort, begins to be replaced by many small things, many small little things, little kings. And it happens subtly, but it's so profound. Saul is reluctant, but God has the power to speak into reluctance, doesn't he? In his sovereignty and in this scene, the people ask, where's Saul? God speaks. He's over there. And so the people, God ordains the means as well as the ends. They move forward. They grab hold of Saul and they bring him forward. God is reigning. There's one other aspect of reluctance I want you to see. Near the end, in fact, the last verse that I read this morning was verse 27. It says in verse 26, first, that Saul went to his home at Gibeah and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. Only God can change a man. Only God can change a woman. Only God can change a child. Only God can change someone in late life. Only God. And here in this text, God continues to reign and he touches the hearts of some men of valor. But verse 27, it says, some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? They despised him. That means they despised Saul and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Well, there's more going on here. First, because God had willed that Saul would be the earthly king, little K. These people should have submitted to that, but they rejected God. Why? Because there was a reluctance in their own spirit to embrace Saul as the king. It comes in the form of a question. How can this man save us? They couldn't see it. Perhaps they had their own desire for a candidate. I'm not sure, but they couldn't see it. So in that, they are called worthless. And what you see right here has been common from the fall. There is division between men and women who belong to the same nation. Tremendous division. Some whose hearts were touched, men of valor followed Saul. Others couldn't see it. They despised him. They were reluctant to follow. It's been that way, hasn't it? From the beginning or since the fall. We look at this text and we learn much about God. We learn that God is reigning no matter what happens Tuesday night. We learn that God is reigning no matter what happens tomorrow morning. We learn that God is reigning and will continue to reign forever. We can trust that this reigning God is gonna to continue to reveal himself to us and actually touch our hearts. We also learn a lot about ourselves. Friends, we continually reject God, his wisdom, his word, his counsel, and we are reluctant to follow. Saul hid in the luggage. Where do you hide? Where do I hide? The good news is that God reigns. He can see where you're hiding. He can see what you're covering yourself with. He can see your reluctance. And more than that, he can overwhelm it. 
and cause you to rise up and say, I want to follow you. But in order for that to happen, he must touch your heart. Has he touched your heart? Pray that he would. And when he does, celebrate what he has done. These wicked men, or worthless men is what they're called, pose a question. And this question is what led to their disbelief, what led to their reluctance to follow Saul. And the question was this, how can this man save us? Well, as God in his sovereignty ushers in this new earthly king, little K, it's all pointing to a man who's going to come. And this man will not be a king with a little K. It'll be the king, capital K, capital I, capital N, capital G. And his name is Jesus. And when he's walking upon this earth for 33 years, a lot of questions are gonna be asked. But one of them is this, how can this man save us? And the people are gonna be confused. One day, they're gonna line the streets and they're gonna say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A triumphant king is coming. But only a few days later, that same crowd is gonna shout, crucify him, crucify him. And God is gonna give them what they want not failing to reign. He's gonna give them what they want in order to show them who they need. And who is it they need? The one who is gonna be nailed to the tree, the cross, who is gonna say, it is finished. And he's gonna die and his body's gonna be placed in a tomb and three days later, he will be resurrected. And he will walk up on the earth a little while longer. And then he's going to ascend. And when he does, he ascends to the place he is now. And there, our Savior, Redeemer, Friend, capital K King, is waiting. And he's living to intercede on our behalf as he waits. And as he waits for the Lord, the Father, God to say go, he will then descend upon the earth again. And when he does, every knee will bow and tongue confess. Say it with me. That Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our only comfort in life and in death. Do you believe that? If you do, he has touched your heart. If you have not yet believed that, pray this day, if you sense his leading, if you sense his touch, that he would save you and that you would begin to know that primary and permanent identity of being the beloved daughters and the beloved sons of the living King. Lord Jesus, we can approach you with no fear of condemnation, but oh Lord, you're reverent and mighty and holy. 
without the covering, Jesus, of your own blood and your own righteousness, we could never stand before your holy throne. Thank you for showing us in this word your sovereignty, your reign, your revelation. Thank you for showing us the deep need we have for you. And we pray that you would touch us deeply, that we might be transformed even today to believe that you are who you said you are, who you say you are. Father, as we close in singing about our Savior King, fill us, Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.